We'll be taking applications a little later for anybody who would like to be a part of a wilderness search and rescue team. Uh, so just wanted to do this as an introduction uh, in case you would like to be a part of it. February the 15th, 2015, 31-year-old Kate Matrasova, a Russian-born investment banker from New York City, was going to hike in the White Mountains in New Hampshire and could cross four major peaks, uh, all of them over 5,000, close to 6,000 feet above sea level. And uh, her husband dropped her off at a parking lot at 5 a.m. in the morning and was scheduled to pick her up uh, later in the evening at 6 o'clock, and she would have a 16-mile journey across four major peaks. There was a prediction that the weather would be bad, but not as bad as it turned while Kate was on the mountain. She was up above Timberline like these guys are, and when the storm hit and uh, she was swept off the trail, they now believe that it was a gust of wind well over 100 miles an hour, picked her up through about 100 feet into some rocks. And there, injured, she pressed uh, the button on her PLB, a personal locator uh, uh, device, uh, and it sent a signal to a satellite which relayed the message to a computer at Tyndall Air Force Base in Pensacola, Florida, which relayed the message back to the area where that locator beacon was activated. Immediately, teams were summoned. Volunteer teams are common in the mountains like that. And so the volunteer teams assembled themselves. The first team got a short distance uh, on the trail and had to turn back. The route they had chosen sent them back because they were encountering four-foot drifts and high winds and could not uh, make their way through. The weather that day, the, the, the highest wind gust was over 140 miles an hour that was recorded on that uh, mountain that day. They received 11 messages from her PLB, but nothing, uh, it kept sending different messages. Teams had trouble getting through. And unfortunately, the next day, On February the 16th, in the mid-afternoon, her body was discovered. The the video that you saw is actual video of their team that found Kate's body. This picture that you see in this PowerPoint uh, display is a picture of the rescue team standing over Kate's body. What had become was to be a rescue mission was now a recovery mission. People who do this kind of work are special people. You have to feel a certain buzz inside boiling up in you to to be a person who's willing to do what they have to do to get there and to help. Like a lot of first responders, while everybody else is running away, they're running in. And so uh, it is it is it, it is a group of people that in the secular world are highly acknowledged for their sacrifice. Now today, we're using them 
as a modern day parable. I love parables. Jesus taught in parables, simple yet powerful illustrations. For instance, he could be a farmer out sowing seed in his field, Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13. It could be a woman searching for a coin. It could be any number of things, but these very many times short and simple yet powerful messages Jesus used to communicate. So today, in 2022, we'll use a modern-day parable. The word parable means this. It means to, among the, the many definitions, <clears throat> excuse me, it means to lay beside. So basically it's a secular story with a spiritual truth, okay? In other words, you, you lay down a picture for us, it is a search and rescue team in a wilderness environment uh, making an attempt to recover the body or at first to rescue her, but now recover her body. They illustrate, they illustrate for us the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. So search and rescue, it's all about the mission. And so what we want to do today is we're going to look at seven characteristics of a search and rescue team. Now, when you hear the number seven, you're going, oh my goodness, most preachers have three points. Some preachers have four points. This one's got seven. Oh my stars, we'll never beat the Methodists to the buffet. But um, have no fear. Have no fear. We did pretty good in the first service, and uh, we'll see how, how it plays out. But some of them will be quick. What we want to do, though, is we'll also use Scripture to, to also augment or to also emphasize what we're saying today. And so we want to be able to learn something. I believe that we, for Schindler Drive Baptist Church and any of the other almost 1,000 churches of one form or another, that exist in Jacksonville, Florida, and the surrounding counties, our mission is very simple. Our mission is very clear. By the way, right now, you are in a transition time in your church. Next week, your pastor will start a series uh, talking about new directions and what's going to be transpiring here at Schindler Drive. And so I may fill in the gap. Uh, and so, but the gap wants, I'm going to fill this gap today, or God's going to fill the gap, helping us rediscover who we are. Listen, folks, if we could have every church in America recapture our mission and our reason for our existence, Christianity would, would see a revival of unknown proportions in the next year to two years. So, well, let's talk about the mission. Four, uh, seven things. Number one, a search and rescue team has to have mission clarity. Mission clarity. you got to know where you're going and what you do. In other words, what you find out nowadays with mission statements, people normally say, this is who we are, and this is what we do. So mission clarity is vital if we're going to get the job done. Now, 
Our, our mission is very simple, to do three things. The, the mission of a search and rescue team, when Kate Matrasova uh, uh, was injured and they received the alert, they were to do three things. They were to locate her. They were to assist her. They were to give her assistance, which, by the way, you don't do regular first aid when you get there. You do medicine for mountaineering, which is a totally another, a whole other uh, level of medical care. And then to transport her, hopefully, they were hoping to find her and transport her off the mountain and into a medical facility. Our job, our job as the church of Jesus Christ is to locate the lost. It's not their job to come to us, okay? And they're not coming to the rate of about 60 to 70% in every city across America, higher in Canada, they're not going to come. We have to go where they are. It would have been a ridiculous, okay, I guess Kate's injured. If she shows up, we'll treat her, okay? How's that? No, you don't do that. Kate can't come. People who are trapped in their sin and in bondage to sin, they don't get the pull. They need someone to speak the truth into their lives. And so the major idea behind a search and rescue team is you don't you you go where lost people are. You get the call, you respond, and you locate them. Our job is to do the same thing with lost people. The second thing is to assist. To assist. That means giving, you know, where does it hurt? You know, what problems are you experiencing? How do you feel? For us, it is to assist people to help them understand the only person who can bring them out of bondage, who can bring them out of, out of captivity and give them new life is only Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what we need in America. Politics, not going to do it. Socialism, social, uh, social uh, networks aren't going to do it. Psychology can't do it. Only the life-transforming word of the gospel of Jesus Christ is adequate to bring about the change that's needed. And then what do we do? We transport. What do we do? We move people. Transporting is to move them. And so when we engage people in the field and we introduce them to Christ and they become believer, we move them. Where do we move them? We move them to church, right? No. We move them to discipleship. Church is part of that. Don't panic. Okay? Some of you about to go into cardiac arrest uh, because I didn't put church first. Let me tell you something, folks. We have a problem. We're much better at making church members than we are disciples. You know? We are much better at making church members. I have perused the, uh, many of the people, uh, churches, uh, membership uh, training, and it's many times about being a church member. Here's what you do with your money. Here's what you do with your time. No, the first step is to engage people to lead them to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, I read recently, and I wish I could tell you who it was. You know, you, you read so many things, and, and I'm old and I forget. Uh, so you'll, you'll excuse me for this, hopefully. But it said, if you make a disciple, uh, if you make a disciple, you may not. I mean, if you make a church member, you probably 
may not, or you may not get a disciple. But if you make a disciple, you'll get a good church member, more than likely. So our priority is to do that. Now, that is our mission. And Jesus has clarified some things for us. And we see in these two passages that are written up here, Jesus does two things. He gives us his mission, and then he tells us our mission. 24 words. Somebody can count them. There may be 25. There may be 23. But if I, last time I counted, 24 words on that screen describe not only the mission of Jesus, but our mission. In Luke 19, Jesus said, he's in a conversation with Zacchaeus, a guy who's willing to go out on a limb to meet Jesus. And so she's having a conversation with him. And he says to him, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission of Jesus. Pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, we're learning more and more that simple is powerful. What man has a tendency to do is, is to take something simple and make it more complex and then wonder why people don't get it. Jesus kept it simple. Now, even coming to Christ, salvation is simple, but it's not easy because it's not easy for us to repent of our sin. By the way, if you're here this morning, I want to be sure that you hear the gospel right up front. The gospel in 31, 30 words is basically this. It is this. It is that Jesus is God's Son coming into the world to show us God's love, to save us from our sin, to set up God's kingdom, and to save us from religion so that we can enjoy the life of God. That's the gospel. And let me say to you this morning, if I... What I'm saying to you sounds like a foreign language and you don't understand what I'm saying. There's a good chance you need to go back to those 30 words. It's pretty simple that Jesus has come to save us from our sin. It's pretty simple about what Jesus did. You can, you can actually boil the ministry, the mission statement of Jesus down to two words, right? Seek and save. The ministry of the church, seek and say, we can't save, but we can, what? Take the life-saving gospel to people. Seek and save. Then Jesus addresses for us in John 20, 21, different scene. He is, he is post-resurrection. This is what happens after the resurrection. What do we do next? Your pastor made a statement similar to that last week. When he said, all right, Easter's gone, what do we do? Okay, and, and his message, how many of you remember the four characters or four groups of characters he mentioned in his sermon last week? The, the, the crowd that was, was rebellious, Martha, Mary, and Judas. Each one of those show four responses to Christ. And you know, all of us are in one of those, by the way. By the way, you have a very... Your pastor is a very good communicator. Very good. So I've, I feel like I'm a gnat following an elephant this morning. But, but hey, uh, we'll do the best we can. John 20, 21. These are some of the last words of Jesus. What does he say? He says this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What is it about that that makes it difficult? It's not difficult, is it? Let me, let me, do, let me put it down in five words. What I did, you do. Okay? That's it. The church wants to understand its mission. We need to do what Jesus... We watch Him and we do what He did. 
And what Jesus did was a dis- gave us not only the description or definition of discipleship in Mark 1.17, but he also lived it out. He said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Another short statement, down to two words, discipleship is being a follower, is following and fishing. By following and fishing, we become members of a rescue team who are committed to reaching the world, to reaching this area, to reaching this city and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, number two, there's an element of risk in backcountry rescue. I mean, did you get that in that, in that video? It's pretty obvious. These are hefty uh, men and women. I don't know if there's a woman there or not. You can't tell. Uh, they've got on all this, look like the Michelin man. They've got on all this equipment. And so they're, they're going along, and, and some of them are big guys, and they're getting blown like matchsticks. And if you get blown the wrong way, you can do, you can be what, you can, it can happen to you what happened to Kate Matrasova. So it is, a, there's an element of risk. Hey, by the way, the stories you like and I like in here are all great stories of people who took risk. If they were to write your story or my story, what would it look like? Kind of scary. Well, I went to eight meetings last week, you know, had lunch with my buddies. Now, so Christianity, we, we live in an age when the church is doing everything but putting high wall fences around us and we're pulling ourselves in. COVID let us understand just how risk averse we are. And so here's the situation, folks. There is, there's no victory without risk. Without risk, David, David doesn't take down the giant. We love that story. Without that, Paul would not be able to say some of the things uh, that he said, like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's describing his life. And I read this, and every time I read it, I get, I'll be honest with you, I get severely convicted. My life is so boring compared to this. One of the reasons why, by the way, people don't get into Christianity is if all you do is huddle and you never play the game, it can get pretty boring. Did you hear me? If all we do is huddle, we don't ever call a play and get out and do the actually play the game. It gets pretty boring. Listen to what he says. Paul's describing his life. Some people think he's boasting. I think he's defending himself. Sometimes you have to. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Doesn't sound like my life. It is it sometimes gets difficult to get Christians to even be inconvenienced. 
Inconvenience is not even on Paul's chart here. You know, he's talking about this is a hard line here. This man is so committed to the gospel that that if he were to be brought, I don't wonder about this, if he were to be brought back, somehow transported back to see the church in North America today, I wonder what he would say. He probably would say, boy, that doesn't look like what we had. But here's the thing, folks, that God has called us to take risks. We, we, we are to be risk takers. You can't be a game changer until you become a risk taker. So it's important. Number three, wilderness rescue is costly. It's costly in a number of ways. First of all, financially. Let me just, as we lay this side down, then we'll compare it. As we, as we talk about the, that rescue, every one of those folks have to be physically fit. They can't sit on the couch and eat, uh, watch Netflix every night and eat Doritos and drink Diet Coke or Coke Zero. That's mine. But anyway, they can't do that. They have to physically train. You don't want, you go up there in that environment out of shape, then you become the victim, not the rescuer. Okay. It is, so there's a physical price to pay. There's a financial price to pay to be on that rescue team. These are all, most all of them are volunteers and they support themselves. And each one of those folks on that rescue team is wearing $3,500 worth of equipment. And that's what's happened. That's what they're doing. It's psychologically and emotionally, there's a price to pay. You're called on in another environment and you go in to find a lost child and you get there and you know the rest of the story. And, and one of the interviews that takes place with them uh, post-event is, is the trauma that they experience, uh, sometimes depression, sometimes suicide because of all that they're going through. There is a high price tag to be on a, rest, on a search and rescue team in that kind of environment. What is the price tag? Well, Jesus paid it all, right? So what happens, we have a brand of Christianity, is that, hey, Jesus paid it all. My sins are forgiven. Salvation's free. So, hey, I'm good to go, right? Got my ticket punched. I remember what Vance Havner used to say. Vance Havner used to say, there'd be a lot of Baptists going to get into heaven smelling like the smoke of hell because they've been so close. But here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We understand there's a price to pay after salvation. My pastor, which is uh, Dr. Gary Weber at Aspire Church in San Marco, has just preached two great series, one on discipleship, and one called Fully Devoted and one called Revolution, calling people out to a new lifestyle. And I love it. It is biblical, and it, is, it, it was biblical. Here's the deal. He, said, he made this statement. He says, salvation is free. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. Well, even before that, Jesus Christ himself said, 
uh, in Luke 9:23, any man who will, any person who comes after me must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He said in in Luke chapter 14, he says, count the cost. He said, a a, a man, uh, a king going to war, doesn't just run out there with his troops. If you don't believe it, ask Vladimir Putin. I mean, you know, hey, we'll just go over and and knock off, you know, knock off Ukraine. No, 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 no. You didn't you didn't calculate some things, sir. And you you're 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 facing a group of people with tenacity. And he, Jesus also said, you also don't build a building without counting the cost. And so here's the ideal. The cost is there. Christianity, living out our Christianity costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us energy. And all of that is part of who we are as we are followers of Christ. The ministry of the church of Jesus Christ as we are placed in our communities to be rescuers, rescuers to help people understand. Number four is this one. The primary goal is to save the lost. Salvation. Jesus said in Matthew one twenty one, uh, or it was said of Jesus and, uh, when they were announcing his coming birth, they will, you will call his name Jesus which is God is salvation, you will call his name Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sin. That is the number one thing that needs to drive the church. There are people who are far from God who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the problem is we have an issue called the silence of the lambs, plural. We are silent and we have the message. And we're not telling what we already know. But God has called us to, to do that. It is our job to not only, to not only um, engage people with the gospel, but to disciple those that come to know Christ. Everyone in this room, if you're more than... By the way, we've seen children do this. By, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old, be able to do these things. If you're above 10 years old, let's say, you should be able not only to share the gospel, tell somebody how to be saved, lead them in how to come to be saved, and be able to walk with that person and teach him how to be a disciple. Everybody could. Can you imagine what would happen in this city if we just grasped that? They tell us, by the way, when it comes back to the discipleship, because I want to address it here again, is this. Surveys indicate less than 2% of the churches in the United States of America make disciples who make disciples, second generation. In other words, we it stops with us. Do you realize if somebody up back in your family tree had decided to live an, an unfertile life like we do as Christians, you wouldn't be here today because you'd never been born. So it's important that we understand. It's important that I understand my job is to procreate, so to speak, by speaking the gospel and then helping them become disciples. The fifth one is this. 
the idea SAR teams understand the importance of critical hours. Critical hours. For instance, they didn't get to Kate Mattress. So it wasn't their fault. There were false signals. Some of the signals came showed her in different places which were inaccurate. Uh, the weather kept them. A number of other things kept them. They didn't make it. They, they didn't make it. But there was a window of opportunity that if they'd gotten to her and been able to minister her physically at that point and transport her, that she might have been able to survive. She died from exposure for too long a period of time in activity in temperatures that were like counting wind chill factor 50 plus below zero. And so there is a limited window of opportunity. We as Americans feel like, hey, everything's good, everything's hunky-dory, we're, we're good to go. You know, life is easy, life is wonderful. Suddenly, because of what cranked up in Europe, and then we're watching, we're watching Russia, we're watching Ukraine, we're watching, you know, we're, we're watching what China's going to do, who they're going to align with, we're watching some others. We still got to watch that guy in North Korea. Suddenly we begin to realize the window of opportunity may be a little smaller than we anticipated. Not only that, anytime we feel, regardless of a person's age, that we're going to have many, many years to reach them with the gospel, it's probably not true. We, couldn't, we shouldn't risk it. We have limited opportunity. The church needs to rediscover all of us. When I say the church, I'm not referring to this church. I'm referring to the church in general, churches. We have to rediscover a sense of urgency. We need to pray that God would break our heart for the lost. We need to pray that God would give us compassion for people who are far from here. We need to pray that God would give us opportunities to engage people with the gospel. There's a limited time called critical hours. Now, the last two I'm going to kind of put together. For a team to go and do what these guys and gals are doing to rescue at that point, to do what they're doing, you have to train not only physically, but you have to know how to do mountaineering medicine, which is way above first aid. You have to do a lot of things so that when you get there, you know, can you imagine the absurdity? You train, you don't train, and you go and you get there, and you don't know how to help. That'd be ridiculous. Well, that's what happens. Many of us walk past opportunities every day to share Jesus with people by simply asking them if we can pray for them and engage them with a, in a conversation. But we can do that and, and but we're not we, we don't feel confident because we haven't trained. So training is a vital, vital part of who we are. Equipping in, in Ephesians chapter four, verses eleven through sixteen, he's given a certain group of leaders who are uh, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers who are what? Who equip the church so that we can go out and serve as a rescue team. So we need to train. We need to be students of the Word, students of prayer. We need to walk with Jesus. 
But then the last one, number seven, is this. We need to go after we train. We have a history of going to classes, getting training, and going home and putting the training material on the counter, I mean on the bookcase, and go and walk away and never use either the book or the training again. It's, 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 we're notorious for that. We have to change that. We have to use what God has given us. And by the way, there is no excuse for a person not to be trained in not only how to share the gospel, but how to do a lot of other things with Google and all of the Christian environment that's there and the access we have from phone to iPad to computer to whatever. Training is there, but we have to we have to escape the book bookshelf syndrome where we simply learn and we don't apply. Can you imagine if 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 they get a call that someone's lost in the back country, bad weather, chances of death? We need a team to go. By the way, I think it was four teams they had respond to that particular crisis that night. Or that day, four teams. Hey, but what if they'd said, you know, it's cold out there, and uh, there's a real good movie that I want to watch on Netflix tonight. I just don't think this is my time to go. So team by team, they don't do it. That's where we are in the church of, of Jesus Christ. We sit and wait for them to come. We need to equip and we need to go. So, anytime you preach, you should be able to ask people or be able to say to people, all right, here's what I told you. Now I told you what I was going to tell you. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. If everybody on the sound of my voice in the next year, next six months to a year, would learn how to share the gospel and learn how to do God's work, and then do it. Can you imagine what would take place? Think of it. Jesus took 12 people and changed the world. That was not easy. And it was not fast. But it was effective. Just think, sitting in this room today, the potential to impact just our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. So, would you bow your head? Uh, for just a moment, I'm going to ask you, uh, if you would, before we, we close out, uh, in, the, in a moment, when we sing, one of your leaders will be standing down front to accept you should you want to make a decision. If you're here today without Jesus, there are people here that can tell you how to embrace Jesus as your Savior. And I want to, as I shared with you earlier, the 30 words, simply that Jesus came to pay for our sin debt. And he invites you to come and to follow him. And all you have to do is confess or to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, embrace Jesus by faith. Someone be glad to walk with you in that today. Maybe you're here today and you don't, you don't I'm not asking you to come and do anything, but I am asking you to, to in your heart, 
I'm going to challenge you. Would you this year, starting today, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to be more, I'm going to allow Jesus to change my life and be more vocal about the gospel, the kingdom, and what God has to offer. We're going to pray and then we'll sing.